Welcome, gang, to another episode of The Secret Origins of the Mint Condition and yet another installment of Joe's Comics Corner. Joining me today as we take a trip to that cosmic corner reserved for Emerald Warriors is my co-host, the originator of this podcast, and quite a quite possibly a ring wielder himself, James. How are you doing, James? Good, Joe. Thank you for having me on your Comics Corner. Oh, you're quite welcome. And, and today, James, so today we are doing a mini dive into DC's heroic Emerald Warrior, the Green Lantern, a.k.a. Hal Jordan, because we know there's 3,600 of these guys, right? And <laughs> girls and aliens and whatnot. As written by two legendary comic creators, Len Wein and Dave Gibbons. So, James, the issues in question are uh, Green Lantern Volume 1, 172 to 176. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yes. So what did you think about them? James, when you read them. I enjoyed them. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I enjoyed them. I, uh, you know, I've said that I I liked Hal, I liked Hal Jordan, even when it was not cool to like Hal Jordan. Uh, (laughs) But I didn't actually read a lot of Green Lantern. I mean, I I came, when I started working at Mint, Kyle Rayner was Green Lantern at the time. And I like Kyle. And when I was reading, the stuff I was reading about Hal Jordan was just prior to Parallax. So my Hal Jordan that I remember always is the older, wizen sort of, um, mm-hmm. Hal Jordan, the more mature one. So it, it took me aback when I started, went back and like read Emerald Dawn and he's more of the cocky sort of, I don't know, what, what was it? Is he cocky? I guess he's sort of cocky, yeah, right? He's the cocky test pilot, right. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, obviously, and, and uh, you know, so this this became available on Hoopla and this is like a, a, a part of Green Lantern history I, I never knew existed that Len Wein and Dave Givens did a run on Green Lantern. Wow. <laughs> so- Let, let alone that it was collected, and they were, and, then, and they did a lot. They did a pretty good run. I mean, I don't know if it was a long run, but there's like you know two or three volumes of their work. Uh, about together. two years worth, yeah. And you know, the book came out monthly. Uh, so when you came upon Green Lantern, you mentioned Kyle Rayner. That was be about the mid '90s or so. Yes, because I was reading. I got associated with Kyle as Green Lantern because I started reading Mark Wade's Justice League after, like Morrison left after the first uh, JLA rather, not Justice League JLA. <laughs> I, I I always forget that it wasn't the full spelled out thing at the time. But yeah, I was reading Kyle Rayner, I think maybe the second or third story arc in the JLA saga. And that's how I got into Kyle Rayner. And, and then and then prior to that, I went back and read Kyle Rayner. And that's where I started going back and reading more of the Hal stuff up until when he went crazy and destroyed all the Green Lanterns <laughs> in the universe. Well, yeah. Uh, so you missed not only Hal, but you missed Jon Stewart also. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's interesting. Well, I knew a little bit about John Stewart only because I think at some point you kindly or Steve Perel kindly let me r- borrow the entire Hard Traveling Heal- Heroes run. So that's my other Hal Jordan is uh, Hal Jordan from Hard Traveling Heroes, and he's kind sure. of a different person than he is. I feel like in this book and in like like when he first appears in like in the Emerald Dawn saga, he's sort of yeah. written a little differently in Hard Traveling Heroes. Well, in Hard Traveling Heroes, uh, that's the Green Lantern, Green Arrow one, right? Yes. That's yeah. Denny O'Neill writing him as very conservative, very straight-laced, very establishment to play off of the lefty-leaning, you know, um, man of the people, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow. But in this story, and and, and this story harkens back to um, Emerald Dawn, Hal is, uh, we see, you know, Hal's alcoholic beginning. And as we flash forward years ahead into this story, we see that Hal is, is, has, has matured. You know, he's left behind his rigid thinking and he's now more of a man, I guess, living in the middle because he's he's been throughout he's been through, through you know throughout the entire universe practically, right? He's seen things that he would never have seen on Earth when he first started his career. So uh, I think this is a much more mature Hal, but there's still that side of him that's you know cocky and um, you know devil may care, and that's what we like about Hal. That's what I like about. Him. 
Yeah, I mean, I've got, like I said, I mean, we had Jeremy Adams on recently and um, sort of my impetus for like wanting to, you know, we talked about doing a Joe's Comics Corner. We, we've given a lot of love to Flash, Batman and Superman, but I think, you know, Green Lantern hasn't been um, spotlighted as much in this podcast on a whole. <laughs> I mean, he's come That's up. very true, yes. But um, yeah, I, I'm still, I'm still ironically like getting used to the cockier Hal Jordan sort of, because <laughs> uh, it just wasn't how, like my, my interactions with Hal Jordan, he was more of the, the older statesman type of thing. Um, he's less cocky in this book, like you said, like reading these issues, he's definitely more, he's not like the Emerald Dawn Hal, and he's yeah. not like the new 52 Hal where they were sort of bringing him back to his roots. And he's, he's also not kind of, I mean... He's not quite Jeremy Arms, Hal, though Jeremy Arms, I think, is going back to the roots of the character, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, but I, I, liked, I like these issues because it's like, a, like I said, this is a, like, seeing that these two creators are working on the book. I was like, how did this, how did this like slip by my comic book knowledge? I didn't even know they did this book. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. Hal, you know, Hal's been around for a long time, had many, um, I mean, let's see, the volume one Green Lantern ran through issue 200. And after that, for about a year or so, it became Tales of the Green Lantern Corps. So everybody was popping in and out. Uh, and then Hal kind of disappeared until Emerald Dawn relaunched him, you know, when DC relaunched everything in the mid, in, in the mid eighties, uh, starting with, uh, Man of Steel. So everybody got their dust, you got dusted off and got relaunched, but Hal's been around a long time. I mean, you know, we go back to showcase number, Steve will correct me, probably if I'm wrong about this, showcase 22, I believe 1959, where they bring back Green Lantern as Hal Jordan, not Alan Scott. So he has a quite a, quite a history. Uh, uh, Al Jordan does, yeah. Well, that's why they started. What? Uh, what? When did they give him the silver hair? I mean, because that's like the said the Hal Jordan that I first remember it was like because they were trying to age him up to be more age appropriate from being around since like like the sixties, right? With that was Green Green Lantern Volume Two. I would say that's probably around nineteen ninety or so. Again, Steve, if you're out there, correct me. <laughs> I should have uh, checked that. But yeah, that was after the Emerald Dawn first Emerald Dawn series, possibly in the second one. Uh, and they did want to make him a little bit older so that, you know, because Oliver at that point uh, was older and they were best friends. So they figured, OK, let's make him closer to Ollie's age. So he's in his 40s at that point, And he's got that Reed Richards look, right, with the uh, the graying temples. Yeah. Right. And it is at that era, I mean, because obviously that's an era in time because they're they're not like that anymore. The characters. Was he the same? Are they like the same age as Batman? Is Batman supposed to be the same age as Hal and Oliver? Uh, I, I would see, see, they didn't really spend too much time on that with Batman and Superman were always kind of timeless, but in my, in my head canon, head canon, God help me, <laughs> reading all these stories, <laughs> my head is full of a lot of stuff, but uh, I always figured that Batman was, was older, uh, was older than Superman. I mean, it, it was stated once in the Bronze Age that Superman was going to remain eternally 29 and that just didn't work out after a while. They had to, they had to age him up. So I would say, yeah, the, the, Hal and Ollie at this point were older than than Clark, and probably uh, Bruce was the same age. So yeah, okay, it just gives me context for time, like you know the senior characters at the time, but mm-hmm. but obviously the story takes place. The, the books we're about to talk about take place before all that when Hal is still a younger younger man, <laughs> a younger man who eventually loses it all and and, and then becomes uh, one of your favorite characters, Inspector. <laughs> Yes, yes, which is it. I would champion. I championed that whole. I I was with Hal through the whole Parallax and the Spectre thing, and but then you know, and I was also, you know, I was happy he came back to be Green Lantern again. I was also kind of sad because like we've we've had this conversation before about like um, it's it's you know nobody ever wants to move on from a character like like 
the characters always have to like at some point be reverted to their original selves. You can't they can't die forever. They can't change forever. You know, I thought the Hal Jordan storyline. I mean, listen, Green Lantern Rebirth, which we'll talk about at some point in this podcast. I mean, not this podcast, but a future podcast, I'm sure. sure. Um, is a great story. It's just, it's just, you know, I also felt the the sort of rise and fall of Hal Jordan and redemption of him was kind of a kind of something that I hadn't seen before with other characters and was 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 interesting. So, yeah, but. I mean, Green Lantern Rebirth doesn't work for me unless you've seen everything that came before. You have to see how he got there. You know, you can throw that so you can tell people, oh, go out and read Green Lantern Rebirth as a standalone graphic novel. It's a great story, beautifully written by uh, Jeff Johnson, beautifully rendered by Ethan Van Skyver. But all all the, uh, uh, the the story beats and the, and and, and uh, all the stuff with what Oliver. I mean, you need, you've had to have read Hard Traveling Heroes and a lot of how shortened stories intervening between uh, before you can get to uh, to Green Lantern Rebirth and really appreciate it. You know, that's that's my the way I look at it. Yeah, it's a it's like um well, like I said, it's it's a rebirth for Hal Jordan. Like it was sure. a sort of a celebration of the hero, the hero's return, I guess. Which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, which in hindsight now with time behind me and realizing these characters are just going to be reiterated over and over again, it's kind of bookends the whole saga from from like Emerald, whatever I forget what the the Parallax or the Hal Jordan storyline was when he first like destroyed the Lantern Corps. But all the way from there to Green Lantern Rebirth, it's sort of like a complete story. You know, an arc, arc of a character. Yeah, definitely. So um, we get to the these Len Wein issues, James. Uh, issue one seventy two, which is called Judgment Day. What you what you think about that issue? I mean, nothing against Jeremy Adams, but kind of they they run in parallel a little bit. Hal's return to Earth, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> first thing I thought, you know, I hadn't read this in years, and when I, I sat down to read this one, I said, "Oh my God, I, I'm I'm sure Jeremy read this before he started reading." <laughs> Uses his context because. And how literally, literally in this story begs to go back to Earth, right? He yes, begs he does. Blue skin bosses, yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, um, cocky Hal would have not done that, but older Hal, who who's been in space for for many for over, well over a year now, wants to go back to his family and friends, who, who as he said, made him the man he is, and he misses Carol Ferris, and and uh, he literally begs his uh, his um, you know omnipotent bosses to send him back home, and and they relent. I thought that was so cool, but yes, it I was cool. Adams right away. <laughs> yeah, and also it's like it's cool that all the Green Lanterns wish him well and they're excited for him, and he's like a he's like the returning champion when he comes back to Oa. Yeah, no, he, yeah, yeah. There's um, uh, there's one one alien Green Lantern that hasn't been introduced yet, and that of course is Kilowog. He's not there, but uh, there's Salak. I think his name is the guy with the pickle pickle looking. Yes, head. Salak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He never liked Hal. He doesn't like anybody. That guy. He's just a he's just a curmudgeon. So um, he's the one guy who didn't wish him well. <laughs> and, and Len being this, you know, this, this great um, uh, lover of continuity and DC history knew all this stuff going in and he just puts it on the page for you to enjoy. There's so many Easter eggs. And I remember reading this back in, I guess, yeah, 84. And it's, oh, this is Green Lantern. Wow. This is that's what I wanted to see. So, yeah, it was great to, re- to uh, uh, reprint myself with these stories. And and also very similar again. It's a it's it's sort of like like I said, Jeremy Adams must have had this in the back of his head or read or something. Like he he, it's a very similar story with him and Carol in this too. Like he comes back, mm-hmm. wants to reconnect with her. She gets a job with her again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's a little bit more tolerant of him in this story. Uh, yeah, she's, she's a modern woman, but uh, she's you know they've been separated for a long time now and he's been in space. She has no idea where he's been, what's happened to him. So it's understandable that when he comes back, she's, she's incredibly happy to see him. 
So uh, I, you know, I, I, I didn't have any problem with that. The, the next story, old friends and, and new foes, right? I mean, this is typical Len Wein. Len, Len learned at the feet of, um, of Roy Thomas and Denny O'Neill and, uh, you know, uh, Len was the, well, I'll say this for the flashbacks, uh, not Len's editorial uh, days, but Len knew how to introduce characters and its supporting cast. And you get a pretty big supporting cast in this very second issue, right? Yeah, I have them like written down. Or like these, is Clay Kendall a previous character or is that brand new? Um, I believe Kendall was new, but you know, I, I have to go back because I, I, I don't think Richard Davis is new because Hal saves his life on the first day at the plant and Davis is not too happy about Hal seeing Hal again, right? So... How, yes, uh, I'm pretty sure Kendall might be new, and, and Kendall's this research scientist researching psionics and and you know and doing things with your mind, um, increasing willpower. Very apropos for a Green Lantern story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have who else? Who else do you have written down? Maybe well, I also have, um, but they kind of explained it in the five or six issues that we read was um, Jason Block. Right, Jason Block, the uh, congressman, right, and the uh, all powerful congressman who's. Uh, out to destroy Ferris aircraft because uh, he believes that Carol's father, Call, was the reason for his for his dad, Jason Block's uh, dad's death. And um, we, have, of course, we 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 get re, uh, reintroduced to Thomas Kalmuka, who is uh, was still a uh, uh, at this point he's not he doesn't own the company yet. He's uh, he's uh, still a uh, top mechanic. And we meet April O'Rourke and Jose Ramirez. Yes, and and we, and we meet. Dr. Bruce Gordon, a.k.a. Eclipso, right? Yes, yes. Well, he even said he like it was he just got over his recent what bout of being Eclipso or something or is uh, he mentions Eclipso in, in the in the book. Yeah, but there's something that happens in an issue later on that I think is is very uh, uh, portentous and, and uh, telling what's going to happen. And I don't remember the stories that came after this. So I'm going to go back and read them now. But uh, and then we get a new villain called Javelin, who when I looked at him the other day, I thought it was Booster Gold on the cover. <laughs> I did, and I was I, I have Javelin written down too. I was going to ask you, is this a new villain or has this guy been around? Or <laughs> this, this is 1984, so uh, early 85. This is before Booster Gold was introduced, but this is a new villain. So yeah, I mean, Lynn populates his 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 uh, Hal's world at Ferris Aircraft with all these characters, some old, some new, and this is the type of thing you got, especially back in the Marvel Silver Age and especially in the Marvel Bronze Age. And Len writes this like a Marvel Bronze Age comic book, and, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, it does have a very Marvel actiony feel, and and Len handles the um, the whole yellow concept very very well. But, yeah. You know, you know, javelin throwing a javelin at at Hal that coats him in a yellow uh, paint that almost uh, I was like, this is a little Batman sixty six here. It's Batman sixty six. It's also Stanley at the end of his Spider Man run coming up with. You know, for just coming up with ridiculous supervillains like the Gibbon and the uh, um, Man Mountain, something or I don't know. He let, he, Stan was running out of ideas, obviously, but yeah, it, it harkens back to that era of, of these, like you know, uh, uh, you know, rinse and repeat uh, supervillains. <laughs> but Len handles it very well. Well, I like how he uh, gets around that how with the yellow stuff by the fact that he can use his ring to pick up objects to use against yes. javelin and use against yellow. So I thought that was, I mean, he's probably been done before, but I was like, that's a clever way to get, to get around the whole, uh, he can't touch something yellow, but he can use things that can affect yellow or defend him against yellow stuff. Exactly. And then the biggest thing that happens in this issue is we meet the mysterious monitor, right? I was getting monitors written down. Uh, is this the same monitor from uh, that? Yes, that... it is. Yes, okay. It is. But I think, now I could be wrong about this. I didn't research this. The monitor seems to be a power broker, an arms dealer in this thing, right? Even though 
I think it's issue 174, 175. We see he's got a, uh, a, uh, a huge spherical uh, satellite in outer space. But DC was planting the seeds uh, for, for uh, Christ and Infinite Earths at, uh, in the, the year prior, 80, in 84. Christ is beginning in 85. But I, I'm wondering if the moderate didn't change, if they didn't change his modus operandi or just changed in period, because he, he doesn't seem to be the all-powerful monitor that we you know we, we know from uh, from the storyline. He seems to be just more of a, a like I said, a power broker. So. Yeah, I mean, the monitor we know from Crisis, I don't know if it's really going to take time to, to help a congressman defeat Carol Ferris's, you know, their foe, Carol Ferris's indus- Ferris industry. Exactly. Seemed, seemed a little bit beneath an all-impotent, powerful, universal being. But That's the first thing I thought when I read that again. Yeah, so what, what is he, why is he, you know, what is he, I mean, what does he care about these, these, these peons? <laughs> What's he doing with these guys? So, yeah. But it is that monitor, right? I mean, he might not be fleshed out fully, but it is the monitor it, from Christ. Because he pops up in numerous other books at this time period, James, in Superman, okay. and, and Batman, and Flash, uh, and Wonder Woman, all the regular uh, monthly books and some other ones too. Yeah, he's, he's, he's around there. And at the end of 174, after he defeats um, uh, the Javelin, uh, crawling out of the ocean having been reanimated by some guys dumping radioactive crap into the ocean is, is, a, is a silver age Green Lantern villain, the shark. Yes. I, I have questions about the shark. So is, is this like, so was, was one of the sharks down there, the shark and he got remutated into the shark? Like, cause he seemed like he got reanimated by that waste. So was the shark down there? Was the shark, reverted yeah. back into a shark and mutated into a shark, the shark again. It was very confusing I, to me where he came they, from. They referenced a story earlier that had, uh, from a few years earlier when, when, when Hal went up against the shark. So he might've left him down there. I'd have to read that story. But I remember the shark from, you know, from the days when, uh, when uh, in the sixties, when uh, he was being written by John Broom and, and penciled by the, uh, you know, the great Gil Kane. So um, yeah, he, he apparently went through numerous transformations and every time he transformed, he, his his mind powers got uh, more enhanced. He was kind of like, I guess, Green Lantern's answer to Gorilla Grodd, right? With his force of mind powers, you know. Grodd, okay. I wonder if the I wonder if Shark and Grodd ever ever teamed up or ever went against each other. That would be a pretty good battle, I would think. But they're, they're both, you know, animal based villains who have super intelligence, and beyond that, they have this power to control the minds of, of, of humankind. So, yeah. Uh, a scary villain, you know, because people are inherently afraid of sharks. Yeah, and he looks like a monster. I mean, he's a monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a very, yeah, you know, he's a, right out of that, you know, the late 50s and 60s, the, the, you know, monsters uh, hulking around uh, around uh, uh, the town, so to speak. So, yeah, that's, um, that was a great villain. I mean, I almost thought for a moment because I didn't, I didn't know about the shark. I was like, "Oh, is he? Are they bringing back King Shark?" And I'm like, "This is a different type. Of, this, this is a different is, shark." Yeah, this is a different shark. Yeah, this is a different shark. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, any, any more questions about about? Uh, well, I also have a question about this this yeah. villain. He dispatches pretty quickly. Rainbow Raider. <laughs> oh, I, I, I lame ass villain. I have it written down. Yeah, oh, the Rainbow Raider. <laughs> what a stupid villain! But actually, to be fair. In, I think it was the second season of The Flash, which would have been, I, I get these seasons mixed up, but the first team up that the CW ever did was was was, was Barry versus uh, Oliver. And they've actually yeah. fight. Now, well, how the hell can Oliver have a fight with Barry? Barry's going to zip around a couple of times, super speed and knock him out. Well, 
uh, the Rainbow Raider was involved in that in that, that, that two parter. So if you ever get a chance to go back, and where see are they? That. Like I saw that episode. I can't. The, the Rainbow Raider was in that. Oh my! Yes, God, he has this truck with these flashing lights. He doesn't run around the stupid looking costume that he has in this comic. Who know? But the Rainbow Raider, I forget his name. That character is involved in that storyline. Yes. So, wow. Yeah. So I mean, the early days of the CW knew what they were doing. They were mining the the, uh, the, the source material very well. But yeah, he, he you know uh, Hal go Hal finds out. From the paper that his best friend Barry Allen is is, is up is uh, 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 you know going to be heading toward trial for manslaughter, and he goes to see him and talk to him about that. Yes, this is this is interesting. So I know nothing. Like so, yeah, what what murder is he accused? Like what what happened? Like he's accused of killing the Reverse Flash. I know that's what's said in the book, but what's the what's you have to give me the whole story because I, okay. I know nothing about this. Here's where we should stop the, the broadcast, give Keith a call, <laughs> and get him to log on because I'll do the best I can, but. Um, some years prior, uh, the Reverse Flash kills Iris. Okay. Barry uh, Barry goes nuts. The Justice League has to bring him back to sanity. There are stories with other villains involved, and then uh, uh, Barry uh, meets a new woman. Eventually, falls in love with Fiona Webb. And I know I have her name written down too. I was like, "Who's the heck go. is Fiona Webb?" <laughs> and they they get they get engaged to be married. And of course, the Reverse Flash, just like in the in the TV show, always comes back. He's like Dracula; he always comes back. And uh, he comes back and he's, he's going to kill Barry's new love, you know, for, for revenge. And Barry, they're racing around and Barry grabs him in a chokehold. And Barry accidentally, or as he even admitted to, to Hal here, maybe I didn't do it accidentally. He kills the reverse flash and he's put on trial. Um, and um, his defense lawyer is Cecile. I can't think of her last name. The character who, who plays Joe... Joe's wife in the Barry in the, in the Flash TV show. Oh, okay, All Cecile right. Horton. Okay. She she's she um yeah. So she's that's where they got that from the TV show. They picked her up out of, of those comics, which were written by Carrie Bates. That's like a five year storyline from the death of wow. Iris to the trial of the Flash. Uh, Keith and I may actually be doing a, a Joe's Comic Corner on that particular era of the Flash. It's, there's so much to mind there, but yeah, and. Um, so, so that's the uh, that's the deal with uh, Barry and Reverse Flash, and, and and when Hal leaves him, Hal is you can see Hal is crestfallen and, and disturbed by that because this is his best friend, and uh, it's uh, really good writing on on Len Wein's part. I, I just like the way he did that. He con- condensed it, and still it still felt uh, you know uh, impactful, and it had an impact on Hal Jordan, obviously. So I, I got to just jump out of time for a minute, Joe, because just to like, you know, this is this is part of these when you have me on as me to like learn and ask questions from you. So sure. Can, yeah. With okay, let's just take the dawn of DC with Jeremy Adams, like um, run on the Flash and his Green Lantern. Where is is Dawn of DC a separate new run after Fifty Two and Birthright? Are we in like a new? And after what, Dark Crisis? Are we like in a new version of the DC universe now? No. Dawn of DC, from what I understand, now let's let's be fair here. Uh, let's be realistic here. Since 2011, DC's rebooted at least four times, maybe five if you count Death Metal as a soft reboot. So, you know, uh, Keith and I again talk about this all the time. We're completely lost. And DC says every story matters, which is ridiculous because then there's no continuity. But, right, because Iris is alive, obviously, and Jerry, Jeremy Adams Right, and, and Jer- Jer- Jeremy explained, and again, Keith could do this better than I, that, that because of B- Barry and Wally's connection to the Speed Force, they remember previous realities. So Barry remembers being married to Iris in the past. Okay. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, Dawn, Dawn of DCU, I mean, I'll give DC credit 
with the, the dawn of DC, DCU, whatever they're calling it, the dawn of DC, that it's not a total reboot like like um, Infinite Frontier was, and like Rebirth was, and and uh, Future State. Oh God! So yeah, uh, it's it, this is kind of all in continuity, and, and uh, writers like Jeremy Adams, uh, you know, at least I, what I feel is he's he's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. He, this, this stuff happened, and he's going to find a way to put it in there, put it into the continuity, the current okay. continuity. Yeah. Well, going from like this, which obviously is like 30, 40 plus years old almost, <laughs> Iris obviously came back from the dead, either in either pre-reboot or in one of these reboots, right? Like Iris was brought back to life. Yes, in the very last issue of flash volume one barry and iris reunite and go off together into the future into the 30th century god i hope i get this right and they begat a family and so that the 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 tornado twins dawn and uh what's our brother's name i can't help me keith wherever you are (laughs) and uh and of course that um uh, one of those two kids are, are the parents of uh, Bart and, and uh, Jenny Ignatz, excess. So, oh, okay. Yes, yeah. And then, of course, Barry comes back from the future to save reality during the Crisis of Infinite Earths. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Right. Thank you, and Joe. You, I appreciate you're, it. You're welcome. And again, if I've screwed up, Keith, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll correct me in the, in the comments on Facebook or Instagram or, P, or Steve. And well, you're we were we were trying to highlight Green Lantern, and we still talked about the Flash. So you can't. Have, well, you know what? They're they're inextricably, uh, you know, uh, joined to the hip. It's like well, they're Batman. the original uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. I am my mind. Yeah, no, Barry and Barry. These are the great friendships in the DC universe. There's, there's Bruce and Clark, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's um, obviously there's Lois and Clark, but that's but that's a you know other affair. But there's uh, there's uh, Barry and, um, and and Hal. There's Hal and Oliver, right? Uh, you know, so yeah, it's, there's no, you, know, you can't talk one, about one of these characters without without bringing in their other characters, these other characters. Well, now going back to Hal, though, so was Hal Hal Ryan to return to Earth? Why was he off world for all this time prior to this? And and I guess John Stewart was taking the mantle while he was off, or this was after John's time, or or mm, let me think. You know, I didn't, I didn't research that, and having not read these books in, in well over twenty years, I'm not sure why Hal was. Uh, but it seemed like he, you know, what you got from that first issue, one seventy two, that Hal was being punished to stay away from Earth or to be off in space for a year, and uh, he had a year's exile. He mentions I read the issue before, which was which was penciled by Alex Toth, by the way. Which wow! Is, yeah, exactly. That's issue number uh, one seventy-one. Gorgeous, Alex Toth, uh, and uh, Hal does his last mission. And he's talking about getting back to Old because he wants to get back to the Council of Elders or you know, whatever they are to see if he's allowed to go back to Earth. But what Hal did, again, um, I bet uh, Steve or uh, this is good. We, you know, why give everybody all the answers? Why should we do that? Let them yeah. get involved in the podcast. Let's let's leave some stuff hanging, and they can they can. Uh, they can answer in the uh, on the Facebook or Instagram. Yes, or Steve yeah. and Keith, if you're listening, you are listening to this episode. Or Richie too. Maybe Richie, was, you read yeah, these books the too. The gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> yeah, answer answer these questions. What was Hal doing before before this issue, and why was he exiled? Was he taken to Brighton? Who was the Green Lantern of Earth before when Hal was away? I would think it would have, would have been John. Uh, uh, later on in this in this run, James, um, 
Uh, Hal uh, gets pissed off again at the Guardians. I forget why, but it's a, it's a few issues down the road from where we left off, 176. And Landon and Dave Gibbons are still on the book, and they bring in John Stewart. And John finally gets a run all, all his own. And it's a, it's a great run, by the way. I'll have yeah. to continue with this. I'll have yeah, to continue yeah. with this run. Yeah, <laughs> excellent stuff. And um, so the last thing I read, just to like kind of wrap the, wrap this up, because I, I have other I have questions for you, and I want to get into the, the two writers of this as well, because this, oh, yeah. this, this is part of the reason why I, I wanted to talk about this, because they're two, you know, obviously heroes of the of the DC and, and comic book universe. Um, yeah. But they bring in what the this this crew of people to destroy Ferris. Uh, Ferris Airlines, right? These are this wrecking crew of people. They're sort of the like demolition the team. team. The demolition we, team. Where we see them before the wrecking crew from Marvel. Yeah, Marvel yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is the wrecking crew. <laughs> yeah, again, I forgot they brought them in at the end of one seventy six, and that's the first thing that hit me. Hit me, and again, I think you know Rosie and her wrecking her uh, her demolition team, and I said, all right, Lynn is pulling from his past when he was over at Marvel. You know, it's uh, it's okay. I mean. Uh, Squadron Supreme was a ripoff of the Justice League, right? So why not uh, rip them off and bring in a villain a villain team? So yeah, I mean that's issue one seventy six. They appear at the very end, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to get from you like that is the Wrecking Crew, right? That is the Wrecking. <laughs> yeah, oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. Uh, in that issue, I love the way um, Carol takes charge, and and Thomas Kalmuka is a little reluctant to go with her. He's kind of like you know a little bit of a fraidy cat there, which is not his. Definitely not his his. Um, his uh, character before this series, or definitely not after. I don't know if Len nailed Thomas uh, right, but he definitely nailed Carol right and uh, her character. And here's the question, though, James. Maybe Thomas knew where it was because he was always uh, in Hal's locker room and helping him out, and you know he would see Hal uh, charge the ring. But she grabs a hold of the invisible lantern and brings it to the hospital, right? Yes. So, how the hell? Uh, wait. I mean, even if Thomas tells her it's it's in the it's in it's in Hal's locker room or, or someplace in Ferris, how do you find an invisible item? <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, he was like they weren't they weren't like dancing around it. He was like staying over at Carol's. Maybe you know he left it. He, he might have. You know, you're right. Okay, I didn't think of that. Yeah, maybe the thing wasn't <laughs> over in Ferris aircraft. It was in Har- It was in Carol's. Uh, 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 home. Okay. Good. There you go. That, yeah. yeah. Okay, Stephen uh, Keith, you don't have to answer that question. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm, I'm assuming because they, they were having breakfast together and, you know. Oh, yeah, no, no. Assuming you spent the night and, uh, spent you know. The night. No, no. How would, and how, he, how would spend the night? That's how. <laughs> and, uh, and he left the he left the lantern there, you know. I'm yeah, sure he okay. brings that where he goes, so. Um, well, I figure, like, that, so I, I, lo- I love these issues. So I'm going to continue reading it. And, and folks, if, you, um, if you've if you been intrigued by what we're reading, they're available on Hoopla, volumes one and two, and I think three are available. Definitely one and two are available on Hoopla. So you can oh, check these. Good. Check these out. Um, well, let's start with the artist, Dave Gibbons, who audiences, if you know the name, it's the art artist on Watchmen. Is probably his, I guess, greatest claim to fame. But mm-hmm. obviously, he's a magnificent artist outside of Watchmen. That uh, is correct, yes. Um, I have a, I have a few flash facts. you have anything else? Uh, that you no, want no, to I just wanted to give him an, an intro, and then I figured you could roll into some stuff okay. about, about the, uh, the work of Dave Gibbons. Uh, a very, very fine artist, very accomplished in Great Britain before he, his work was published in the United States. And his first um, American work uh, was for DC Comics, uh, in, uh, and that was in Green Lantern 161. So about, you know, about 10 issues, about a year prior to uh, this storyline. Uh, and, and concurrently, he did a two-part in the back of Flash 318 and 319, a Creeper story. So that was 1983. 
And then uh, he does, um, he's, he's, he's the uh, penciler for uh, the very last issue of Brave and the Bold 200, where Batman teams up with Batman. Silver Age Batman or Bronze Age Batman teams up with Golden Age Batman. Great story. Ooh. And before we get to the seminal work that, you know, that, uh, of his career, which is Watchmen, he teams up with the great Alan Moore for, and uh, you, if people have listened to this broadcast, uh, this podcast, they know, what, which if I'm mentioning my favorite Superman story, they, he was the penciler on for The Man Who Has Everything, Superman Annual Number 11, 1985. He was. Oh, yes, wow. Yes, okay. yes. You know, oh, okay. it's my favorite Superman story of all time. It's my favorite, one of my favorite JLU car- animated cartoons, you know, that, that adapted this particular book. And then, of course, the, uh, um, right after that, uh, they, uh, he and Alan Moore begin their 12-issue run on, on the legendary graphic novel, um, The Watchmen, which is the only graphic novel that is on the New York Times 100 uh, best novels, American novels of all time. Yes. Even though it's a graphic story, right? So that, that you know, and I don't think we need to say uh, much more about Watchmen. Um, Gibbons also, of course, is known for his work in Great Britain on Doctor Who uh, yeah. and Judge Dredd. And he did dozens and dozens of other outstanding contributions for Marvel, Eclipse, Dark Horse, and other publishers. And he, he was also a writer. And he, um, he wrote a... Um, he, he, he was the author of um, uh, Small Run and Captain America. And if you remember the Grand Thanagar War that you know basically uh, was a, an offshoot of the whole Infinite Crisis, um, he, uh, he did that. He wrote that which was penciled by Ivan Reese. And he also wrote the miniseries uh, that started the Green Lantern Corps series called Green Lantern Corps Recharge. Wow. Yeah. So wow. um, yeah, the man is a very accomplished uh, creator. He's not just an artist. He's a great artist, but uh, he's also a writer. So yes, very accomplished. He, yeah. He does such clean work, such clean, clean, but very detailed work. Yeah. Could you speak to that a little more, James? Because you're, you're an artist. I mean, because I, I can, I, you know, I lose myself sometimes when I'm speaking about art, but. Oh, he's just like very, hmm. he's not Kurt Swan, but he's like sort of Kurt Swan-esque where, because he's not like highly graphic, like the more modern, like like things, artists that I like, like Lee and McFarlane, like they Mm -hmm. use like extra lines and cross hatching, but Gibbons just gives you a very like clean line work. But also very detailed. He's not like um, he's not doing like a Batman animated series or an Alex Toth type of uh, type of work. He's no. or Darwin Cook. He's very, you know, everything. This looks great. I mean, like I said, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, he's different than Kirk Swan, but I they're they're, they're kind of that, that generation of, of artist where yeah, yeah. You know, I never the, thought of that before. The uh, Kirk Swan, like but you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's just very clean and very crisp. Yeah. And very I mean, this is also good. an error error before they started coloring with multiple shades of colors. Like right. it's a, it's a flat color. Like the green is green. The, you know, the skin color is skin color, the brown and brown, like all the colors are one color. They're not, they're not trying to like do two tones to give you shading and stuff. So it really, it's sort of like, I wouldn't say it's, it's not coloring in the lines type of thing, but it, but because his line work is so clean and the details he's choosing to put in are, are very specific to make the characters, the characters, it, it, it just makes it look very, it's very pop art. It's just very pop art at the time. I would say very much so. And he he inked his own work in this run. He only he um he did not ink uh, one issue. There was one issue that, that was inked by Dick Giordano. And I, I though I think Dick Giordano is one of the greatest inkers of all time and penciler, I still like Gibbons inking his own work. And um, yeah, the inking the inking back then was substituting for the way they use color now. 
So to flesh out the characters and to, you know, to, to, to make them, give them a three dimensionality, but you're right. Clean is the word to describe it. Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's different line work. Like I said, it's hard to say who's like his, his work is great. I mean, his, his work defined many artists that came after him because he's Mm. so prolific and, and, you know, Watchmen is like one of the, I think, in in comic book, in, like whether you if you're in comic books at all you know Watchmen which means you're associated with Dave Gibbons work which means if you're an artist you probably are some somewhat influenced either either you like it and want to go in that style or you're trying to go in a different style but he's a d- defining artist of, of other artists that came, came after him yeah but without a doubt I think when he, when he gets to Watchmen and I think this is probably Alan Moore's influence but you know uh, they probably wrote full script like everybody was doing back then except Marvel uh uh, I would there's this there seems to be a little more detail and more more stuff in the background things like that in Watchmen there's there's a nine there's a lot of nine panel grids and even uh, more panels than that on, on some pages. Uh, oh, he's got great layouts too. I didn't even yeah. like I wasn't really like he knows how to lay out a page and he knows how to tell a story and he I mean it's it's and it's very interesting and it's very um, compelling and he you know he knows how to like change the panels to suit what he wants to like how he's interpreting the script i guess is probably yeah because watchman's a very you know very uh you know dark story uh it's very uh cloying at times so that needs to be you know uh uh depicted on the page and you a man of this caliber is is is, is you know he can do it with with apparent with ease uh, but it's not easy, as you know, as an artist. It's not. No, it is not easy. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, I rarely do paneling. I'm not some best thing. You know, I'm more of a character designer and concept guy. But laying out a page is is not easy work. It's not easy. Tell, telling a story, uh, artist telling a story is is uh, that's why you know people, you know all, uh, you know uh, praise and uh, bow at the, at the altar of uh, Jack Kirby because he may have been the greatest storyteller in the medium's history. But uh, all these guys, I'm, I'm sure Gibbons knew of Kirby's work and was influenced by, uh, by it somehow. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. sure. I mean, you know, I'm sure he pulled from the, the greats. I mean, like when he was doing it, it's not that far from when the medium was first really started. I mean, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's about 20 years after the medium started. Yeah. Yeah. It's still pretty early on in comics. So there, there are, there are at that point only a handful of people who have really made it in comic books and only a handful of people who really like left an impact on the business at that point. So you could easily study and learn from them. Definitely. Um, and, then we, and then we have the writer of this this uh, this series, the, the great Len Wein. I've spoken about Len on this podcast before. I kind of knew Len in the, in the 70s at the conventions. I was an acquaintance. I go up to him at conventions. I'd ask him some questions about, uh, as a matter of fact, my friends and I at Bishop Lachlan put together our own fan magazine. It was called Outlooks. We did two or three issues. And I think issue two had, a, had an interview with Len. Uh, but it also turned into an interview with Len and Mark because they were together and they said, well, let's go over to uh, the McDonald's around the corner. They bought us lunch and we sat down and we were out a half an hour, 45 minutes. We, we spoke and talked and we, we did that. We did an interview with Lennon Marv. But um, Joe, do you we, still have that interview? Um, I'd have to find those two, the two or three issues of Outlooks. If I can find them, James, I'll, I'll let you know. Yes. Yes, that 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 is like, see, Joe, this is like a um, pop culture confession right here. <laughs> like you just somehow like just you've you've lived so much experience in life that like I, I don't know if you realize like how like that's pretty. I would love to read that interview you did with Lynn and 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 see what see what that was all about. So it was it was myself and my my buddy at uh, school, Frank Mancuso. Was it Frank? Yeah, I think it was Frank. And we did that interview with uh, with them over over a lunch at McDonald's in Herald Square, <laughs> circa nineteen seventy three or so, about that time. But uh, yeah, Len Len's uh, first professional work was Teen Titans Volume One Number Eighteen, 
1968, co-written with his lifelong pal and, and buddy and uh, co-creator Marv Wolfman. Uh, and then a year later, Len was writing horror comics for DC and Marvel, romance comics. Yes, romance comics. Uh, and uh, Len took over Star Trek for Gold Key. And when he took over, he sent the artist who was an Italian artist working in Italy, who had never seen the show, by the way. So that's why Scotty had green, had, had blonde hair in the very first few issues. Len sent this guy photographs of more than just the Enterprise. He sent them photographs of, of, the, of, the, of the supporting cast, not just Nimoy and Shatner. So that this guy finally rendered Scotty and Ahura and Chekhov and Sulu properly. And uh, so, yeah, Lamb was really into this Star Trek run, uh, run of his goal key, uh, goal key assignment. Um, you know, and there's two characters that Len is wildly known, uh, known for cre- co- co-creating. And I think you know who they both are, right? And, I, and I, I'm going to let you, uh, okay, uh, I'll introduce it and you can speak to this because you're, you're, the, you're the expert on this character. But in 19, July 1972, House of Secrets number 92, Len and the, and the great Bernie Wrightson, uh, debut the Swamp Thing. Yes, probably the. Uh, I would say, I, I think he gets more love these days. But I think he's an underappreciated character. But he's a magnificent creation by those two fantastic storytellers. And you know, I think Bernie. I think it's probably Lens. I don't. I mean, well, Joe, you probably speak this more than I can. I mean, I don't know if it was Lens' concept. I mean, Len might have had a concept, but Bernie gave the character a physical form. I think beat. that's the way it went. Yes, I think that's the way it went. Again, they're working from full, full script in those days. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bernie's, um, the look of Swamp Thing is iconic. And it's, you know, like, if you, like, you just see, like, if you see a drawing of, of Swamp Thing, you, like, that's Swamp Thing. Like, you, yeah. like if you, 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 there's only one way to really draw Swamp Thing. And every artist since then has not, that, that look of his face, while it's been interpreted many different ways, is still all the, the red eyes, the, the nose bridge, the, uh-huh. the simple mouth, the cheekbones, um, the large sort of like, you know, hulking like swamp figure figure is like that. That's always universal. So they both like define the character who I think in more recent years is getting more appreciation and love than it did in the past. Well, he recently had a uh, 10 episode uh, show on uh, DC, um, uh, what the hell, DC Universe, right? And then the DC, DC Universe, yeah. Never migrated over to HBO Max. I don't know why. Yeah, Obviously. I don't know what, yeah. But I will say, like, I think, I mean, for what I learned, I, I said this in a previous episode when we were talking about it, I mean, for, for a period of time when Alan Moore was writing Swamp Thing, I know we're getting away from Len and Bernie, but they 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 obviously led it led to Alan Moore's run with the character. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was, like, the top-selling DC book at the time. Like, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing was, like, was, like, on fire. Like, if you, if you were, if you were hip and into comic books, but you weren't, or if you were like superior books or didn't like them, you were you were reading Swamp Thing at the time of his run. So without a doubt, yeah, I mean that book was out selling New Teen Titans at that point. Yeah, which is crazy. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. He's crazy. So, um, I mean, it, it led to like you know that that led to the period. Unfortunately, they, they didn't do it so well. The uh, the two Swamp Thing movies just because of the the run that Alan Moore Alan Moore uh, was having on that book. So mm-hmm. yeah, Len and Bernie, like Len, that that's you know. Obviously, I mean, that's the character I love the most. I mean, I shouldn't say I love the most, but that's the character I recognize him for the most. But Joe is his other character, obviously, that the world probably knows him for. Is. Oh, yeah. The, the Wolverine. Yes. <laughs> created by, co-created by Roy Thomas and Len Wein and John Romita Sr. did the, uh, uh, the, uh, the modeling for that character. But Len wrote the stories, Incredible Hulk. Len took over Incredible Hulk in 179 
And then 180, Wolverine appears at the very end in one panel. And then 181 is the full first appearance of Wolverine, November 1974. And, uh, you know, uh, just one of the, yeah, right. The world knows this character. This is, I mean, is it fair to say that after Spider-Man, Wolverine is the most recognized, you know, Marvel character? Uh, I mean, he's got to be. Like, I know we recently had an episode where we talked about, like, it's, I mean, we've said that probably Batman, Superman, Spider-Man are the world's most recognizable Mm -hmm. characters. Like, you could be anywhere in the world you drop those characters. If you said, you showed the symbol of those characters, people would know who you were talking about. But I think Wolverine is is probably up there worldwide at this point. I mean, especially after all the X-Men movies, the cartoons and stuff. He's got to be like in the top top five of the world's most recognizable characters. I, I would think so. I think it would be, like I said, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Wolverine, and probably Wonder Woman. I, you know, would you say Wonder Woman over Cap at this point? Oh, yeah. I, they're, they're neck and neck. Wonder Woman or Cap. I guess Cap maybe because of the movies, but Wonder Woman for her, you know, they both came out in 1941. They were both very much war-created, uh, uh, you know, characters, right? One, Cap, uh, Cap, both of them dressed, draped in the flag, right? So, yeah. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah but I mean, w- yeah, I mean Wolverine. Yeah, again, I mean this. You know, Len created two of the greatest comic book characters of all time, and he, he doesn't does. stop there because Len has successful and critically acclaimed runs on three of my all-time favorite runs of his are obviously the Swamp Thing, and then the Phantom Stranger. Which, if folks, I, I just hope these his run on Phantom Stranger, which runs from issues uh 14 to number 26 i hope they're available on, on Hoopla. these are amazing comic books it's a blend of horror mystery and superheroes and it's like nothing you've ever read before or since i think beautifully rendered by jim apparel i recommend them but yeah jla his run yeah. on jla batman this green lantern run blue beetle which jeremy adams referenced right in, in a, in a, yeah and then he goes over to marvel and he's writing Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor, the Fantastic Four. Um, and then <laughs> Marvel decides to bring the X-Men back. And they, you know, they've been popping around the Marvel Universe in the, since in the, in the Bronze Age. But, in, but then in 1975, Giant Size X-Men number one. And who writes that? Len Wein. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's three new X-Men created in that book that, we, that the world knows today. Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. Wow. Of course, they put, they kill off poor Thunderbird in the second issue, but <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, Roy Thomas, I believe, was the editor at the time, and he had some he had some input into that book. Obviously, Roy then leaves the editorship of Marvel Comics. He's only the second editor since Stan Lee. Lance Stan was the first, and who becomes editor in chief after Roy? Len. I mean, his accomplishments just keep growing and growing. Len also created for DC Comics in the early 70s before he went to Marvel, a character called um, the Human Target, Christopher Chance, who had not one, but two TV series. Wow. And one more creation of Lens, Lucius Fox. A, wow, a, really? Yes, wow. Yes, yes. A very important character in Batman mythos today. So, um, you know, uh, do I have any more on Len? Oh, and Len got the ball rolling as editor and co-writer of the first few issues of George Perez's Wonder Woman relaunch. And he was edited, he edited All-Star Squadron, the New Teen Titans, Batman and the Outsiders, and he was the editor on Watchmen. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, Phenomenal career. Isn't it? It's an amazing career. And, and after he left comics, Len did a lot of writing and television. He wrote novels. Uh, he was a very accomplished man. He passed away in 2017, 
two years prior, he had triple bypass surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Len was always, I remember him saying that when he was a kid, he was sick, he was in bed, his parents gave him a box of comics and that's how he fell in love with comics. But Len always had some, uh, some uh, you know, issues with uh, his health. Wow. What a, what a great, great creator. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I always loved his stuff. He's one of my favorite favorite writers of all time. No, yeah, I mean he's a guy. He's like another like you know um, he creator of all things we love. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like all those characters you listed, but like obviously the top ones like you know Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and then probably Swamp Thing would be would be there. But right. he, you know those those X Men alone are um, fan favorites you know made impact on generations of people it's it's fan- yeah. it's amazing and think about it, those five characters you mentioned um a couple of are, are considered anti-heroes right over in the swamp thing yes uh, len wasn't len wasn't doing cookie cutter stuff he was he was introducing new concepts into with these characters into into comic books so len's contribution uh, not, only, not only gives us these great characters but he expands the medium and and, and what the medium can do by exploring different aspects of characters and, you know, uh, different, different motivations. Uh, just, just phenomenal. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those characters just kind of like pinpoint them again. Like, yeah. Uh, Swamp, Swamp Thing is like a loner monster. Wolverine is sort of a loner monster. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Nightcrawler is a loner monster, but yes, he, has he, religious, was, he, was, he has religious faith. <laughs> Same with uh, pitchforks, right? <laughs> Nightcrawler. Storm's a thief goddess, and yes. uh, Colossus is like the most heroic out of all of them, probably. Probably. No, but Colossus has a backstory that's that's also tragic because he comes from you know communist Russia, right? At the time, uh, yeah. an oppressive regime. So yeah, so that's um, you know Len was layering these characters with real world uh, problems and uh, and real world uh, affinities. Well, I wouldn't say affinities, but yeah, you know, just putting them in within the, the context of, of reality. And, and still making them spectacular enough to just thrill people when you're reading when you're reading these stories. Yes. Yeah, it's it's fantastic work. Fantastic work. Um, well, this has been great, Joe. This is fantastic. Oh, do we do you have any recommendations, James? Um. Well, outside of like, go pick this up on Hoopla. <laughs> yeah. You can go read these books on Hoopla. Um. Let me see. Do I have any? Um, well, I bet you one of mine already. Yeah. Let me see here. I'm looking at Mike, what I've read recently, and seeing if it's any, if it's anything that I haven't recommended before. Um, hey, you know, Joe, I think I might be at a loss for a recommendation this week. All right, I'll, I'll pick you up. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, as I said, uh, if you can find Phantom Strangers, uh, not Volume One, Number Fourteen to Twenty Six, Early Seventies, Bronze Age Goodness, Lennon and Jim Apparel. Obviously, James. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, oh, Lennon writes in issue one through thirteen. It's one thing, correct? Yes, that is that is on Hoopla in the bronze edition omnibus. Unfortunately, Joe, the Phantom Stranger stuff is not available on Hoopla. It's also <sighs> not available any, anywhere because I think the omnibus is out of print. Well, there's a new omnibus coming. I'm getting mine in the, at the end of uh, August. It was 150 dollars. I got it from uh, Discount Comic Services for half that price. It has every to date. Not every appearance, because it's you know Justice League and things like that, but every important Phantom Stranger comic, including the one, the five issues from the fifties, the entire run of Phantom Stranger Volume One, uh, and numerous other stories uh, are in that in that uh, tome. And I can't wait to get that. Um, 
Uh, there's Blue Beetle, 20, all 24 issues by Len Wein with artist Paris Collins, Chuck Patton, Patton, one of my favorites, Ross Andrew and Don Heck. And here's a little, a little uh, number that I think people should check out. Uh, it's called The Untold Legends of the Batman. It's three issues. Len wrote the entire three. Byrne did the art in the first. And Jim Apparel did the art in issues two and three. It's an exciting story that retells the origin of Batman for the, for the, um, the, the, the late Bronze Age. And it's uh, highly recommended. So they, they, oh, not to leave out Marvel, because, he, I, you know, if you want to check out any of the Lynn stuff, check out his run on Marvel Team Up, issues 12 to 27, when he's working with Sal Shimmer and Gil Kane and Jim Mooney, and Spidey is teaming up with everybody, including Ghost Rider. So it's really cool <laughs> stuff. Really cool stuff. Yeah. That sounds great. Oh, you know what I can recommend? I just I just picked it back up, and I think I mentioned on previous podcast, but it was, I just finished season two of Young Justice on oh. Max now, not HBO Max, Max now, Max now. Um, and it was good. It was great. I mean, we've talked. If you haven't gone back in our earlier episodes, there is a whole episode where we talk about Young Justice, and Chris gives yeah. his talks about it in great detail. And I just finished season two, so I'm looking forward to continuing on into season three. Yeah, I'm. Early into season three, I've got to get back to that myself. So I want I want to get back to that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I've looked forward to doing more of these these Joe's Comics corners, where we, we do these deep dives into these great creators. But uh, you know, um, Len and Len Wein and Dave Gibbons uh, gave us a tremendous amount of, of, of uh, great comics, and we should be very thankful that they were on this earth to give us this stuff. Um, that's about all, you know, I don't know what else I can say. It's just that uh, they were, they were great creators and I'm, I'm so thankful that, that I was able to read their stuff. Yeah, me too, John. Well, I'm still thankful. I got so much stuff that I haven't read of theirs yet. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you go. <laughs> so, uh, I have a lot, still a lot to catch up on, but uh, I appreciate you having me on this episode. You're quite welcome. And, and, um, let's see, James, our, our, uh, our followers can find us on Instagram, right? And on our Facebook page. And, uh, yes, we'd ask you to like and subscribe. Uh, it helps uh, all the metrics. <laughs> it does. It helps the metrics. Helps us get out there. And yeah. uh, and uh, Steve, Richie, and Keith, you've all been called out on uh, for thoughts and opinions, and especially to to fill in the blanks of things we missed in this episode. <laughs> yes, there you go. So thanks, James, uh, once again. Uh, and you suggested this topic, and I'm, I'm glad you did. I had a great time doing this. <laughs>